think Mike Duffy called them the boys in short pants. And I they're both boys and girls because I've seen them. Women and men. Hello, this is episode 83 of the Boys in Short Pants, the 84th episode. I'm Laurent Carboneau. Are you sure this isn't just part two of the last episode? I mean... Feels like false advertising. I, we could say it's 83.5 or 82.5, but frankly, that sounds tedious. It's going to fuck up the numbering convention. <laughs> and do, oh, do we no. need a numbering convention that's already more goofed than it already is? Well, I am, uh, I'm Mason Rainville. Very good. And uh, this week, we're, yeah, sort of doing the follow up to our episode on Cabinet last week, which you haven't listened to. You can listen to at wherever you got this podcast episode from. Um, and you should, because it'll give a little more context for our discussion. Though, frankly, um, you know, don't feel like you have to listen to an hour's worth of podcast just to listen to this one. As um, uh, as was uh, recounted to me um, by a, a listener of the podcast who is not incredibly engaged in politics, it was an hour of listening to names of people she had no idea who they were. At the same time, if you're, it's like if you're listening to a Harry Potter podcast and you haven't read the books and you're like, I don't know who this Hermione <laughs> person It's like... It just may not be the right podcast at that point. No, I don't there, know. there's understandably there's like Harmony. Um, Harmony. Whatever yeah. you say. I it. just said it. Ron Weasley <laughs> and Harry, and then it's like we're not getting into like the C list cat, or it'd be like that podcast getting to the C list cast of who went to the I don't know the Winter Ball in Book Four or whatever it was. Wouldn't that be kind of the point of a deep dive podcast though? It would be. So. I'm not. I'm not entirely disagreeing. Okay. I'm just saying. Just... Yeah. I mean, you know, you're gonna you're gonna hear about the, the the deep cuts on this show. You know, fair stuff only the real heads know about. Uh, Harry Potter podcast sounds terrible. It, honestly, that sounds like one of the worst possible things you could. If you do listen to Harry Potter podcast, just do yourself a favor and don't. <laughs> Although not as good as a West Wing podcast. God, I saw something really great today. Another one of our favorite podcasts, uh, Report This Post, has a great Twitter account, and. Um, they had a great post uh, this morning of someone like, oh, I don't believe in astrology. I'm an Int J and a Ravenclaw, <laughs> which was very funny. It's all the same shit. Anyway, um, yeah, we want to talk about uh, the sort of the B side of, uh, of last week's uh, A side, <laughs> I guess. Yeah, the metaphor fell apart, um, which is to say the uh, opposition front benches, uh, not counting the block because... Uh, we just don't have as much to say about them, and there's not really enough like background material for us to dig into uh, because they're all new yeah, to, to federal politics. All new and every, virtually everything there is new, although they are now in the third party position. So yes. they are, and they, they 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 did come in swinging elbows when it came to uh, parliamentary entitlements and everything. So they they at least remembered how to do that. There you go. How to treat the Parliament of Canada as an ATM. So <laughs> good good for, good on you, Bloc Québécois. <gasps> All right, where do we want to start? With the uh, conservatives? Yeah, that would make sense. So, again, this is about a week old now because, well, yeah, these uh, many of these announcements were made last week. Um, but sort of how it rolled out was Sheer did his, I think it was phrased, leadership team announcement yes. on Thursday. And then it sort of was a quiet release of the critics, which I struck me as a little unusual. Um, but it was the, the leadership team was more or less status quo with one large exception. Um, Indeed. The, the surprise of the day was Leona Alislev being made deputy leader. Yes. And for, for those of us who, who, well, those of you 
who don't remember, <laughs> uh, she was elected first elected to Parliament as a Liberal member of Parliament for Aurora Oak Ridge's Richmond Hill, a Toronto area riding, in 2015, and then crossed the floor to the Conservatives in uh, early this year, I believe. Yeah, in January of this year. Sounds about right. Yeah. Probably, um, probably not January because there was like one sitting day. In January, oh, yeah, February. But... Yeah, it was like the first day of the, the last sitting. Uh, well, of the yeah. last sort of chunky sitting, yeah. Sure. So, yeah, they uh, that, that was news in the sense that it sort of signaled or it was intended to signal uh, outreach to, you know, persuadable liberals and like, hey, look, like we got a former liberal to be our deputy leader. So we will circle back around to this, I think, in the discussion around Andrew Shear's continued presence as conservative leader. Uh, but suffice to say that the reception was mixed. Yeah, I, I, I think that's fair. Um, let's put aside that yes. conversation for now. Um, I mean, much of the rest of the leadership team, Alan Reyes is Quebec political lieutenant, Candace Bergen is, continues to be House leader, Mark Strahl continues to be chief opposition whip, etc. Um, because there are a number of deputy opposition whip, caucus party liaison, national caucus chair, there's a, there's a number of positions that fall into this, but largely the same as pre-election. Um, where there was a bit more of a shuffle, of course, is in the cabinet ministers. Um, shadow cabinet. Shadow cabinet ministers, <laughs> rather. Yes, or, or critics, as other people call them. Yes, of course, if we recall that the shadow cabinet uh, nomenclature is was introduced by Andrew Scheer um, yes. early on in his tenure, mirroring a little more closely what's done in the United Kingdom. Yes, though we don't have the shadow chancellor position. Uh, because we don't call our finance minister the chancellor of the exchequer. Shadow chancellor for, for just reason. is the coolest title. <laughs> yes. The shadow chancellor. <laughs> it's very cool. <laughs> um, it just sounds like something Conan would fight. I don't know. 100% fair. Yeah. Um, so You didn't account for my snake men, Conan. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so when you look at shadow critics... Uh, I mean, the first thing to know is there are now 120-odd conservatives. Yes. Um, whereas there are 36 or 37 ministers in the liberal government. Yeah. Um, so you have to make decisions about what you're going to lump, what you're going to break down, how many critics you're going to make. Yes. Because people what? like having critic roles. It yeah. makes them important. It engages them more in question period. It keeps them on top of things. Yeah. They feel a little more ownership of files, that kind of stuff. The one thing is is they're also you they're following a lot of the same consideration that government has when they're putting together a cabinet in the sense they want to have regional representation, sort of internal diversity, uh, making sure the part the factions of the party are represented. So there's a lot of the same considerations that go into that, uh, which I suppose we'll see over the course of this uh, this quick little go over of uh, Well, to pull out a very obvious one um, right away, for instance, is Luke Berthold. Bertold. Yes, in the Megantic Les Rabes, uh, is Infrastructure and Communities. Yeah. And he's, of course, a Quebec area MP. And then they made an associate critic for infrastructure from Alberta. Yeah. Um, but associate critic, sometimes the deputy critic roles are like rarely ever come up. Um, but if I'm not mistaken, now I just need to remember who they made um, deputy critic on infrastructure. Uh, Matt Genereux. Um, who is sort of an up-and-comer in Alberta. Um, so it's very clearly not necessarily intended to be like a deputy critic role where, 
you know, it's sort of there on paper, but you're never actually doing it. It's, I think it's more structured as sort of like an East-West. We have the main critic from Quebec, and then we have a Western critic yeah. for English language, all the rest of yeah, it. Yeah, which a lot of parties do, and frankly, a lot of governments do as well. It's just sort of have a sort of dynamic duo from Quebec and from not Quebec. Yes. Yes. So, I mean, skimming through the list... Um, I mean, one change what, I what saw jumps right, out at you? I mean, one change I saw right away is Peter Kent no longer as ethics critic. Michael Barrett is now the ethics critic. Uh, Kent is someone who built up a lot of expertise uh, on, especially the digital file that the ethics committee has been working with. That's right. And uh, also was, you know, reasonably effective during the SNC stuff as well. Um, I would be curious to know why they took him out and moved him elsewhere. I think he's now uh, critic for multiculturalism, and he represents a highly highly multicultural writing in uh, the markham area so that makes some sense but yeah i don't know what barrett's background is on the ethics file and sort of the uh excrescences of the ethics file that have grown up over the last couple of years barrett being a new conservative mp he's not new because he was elected to replace gord brown during the last parliament sure but yes newer certainly sure um i mean other other people jump out immediately james bazan national defense yes um the man is wed to the national defense file. Yes. I, I think it would be Stephen Blaney for heritage impossible. Uh, keeping with the tradition of, of a Quebec heritage, heritage person, heritage <laughs> Canada being basically Canadian or Quebec yes. heritage. Um, Michael Chong gets democratic institutions, <laughs> which is sort of funny because democratic institutions doesn't exist yeah. as a portfolio yes. on the government side. That's pretty funny. Um, so like, every liberal's favorite conservative democratic institutions as I think we mentioned last time sort of the legislation through sort of a sneak peek at the orders and council seems to be going to uh, LeBlanc yeah but LeBlanc I don't think is likely to be in a position or to be a terribly activist I mean, democratic institutions minister yes, yes. exactly and we, we have yet to see mandate letters yes. maybe there'll be something in it but I, I feel like the liberals are somewhat abandoning the democratic institutions file um, yes. Or just not going to place very much prominence on it at all. I think that's fair to say. After they were burnt with it in the last parliament. Yes. Um, by, by themselves, it's worth to well, yeah. say. Yes. They, they, so this yeah. is not like... They held the match for far too long. Yes, they, they, they really did. Uh, Gérald Daltel as intergovernmental affairs, I think, is signals a continued confidence in Daltel to sort of stick handle both Quebec files and national files. Yes, and it's... I mean, it's good positioning because it makes him... The, the Freeland counterpart, uh, yes. yes, which is big. Uh, so those unfamiliar with Deltel, um, he was a he was the leader of the ADQ, the Action Démocratique du Québec in Quebec. So a sort of center right political party took over from Mario Dumont in the early two thousands, led that party for better part of a decade, uh, handed the reins over, then got folded into the CAC. So, um, you know, but for the grace of God, could have been premier, I suppose, at one point. Um, but no, he's been quite an effective conservative MP. Definitely one of their heavy hitters from Quebec. He is considered one of the... Uh, one of their two, three best in Quebec, for sure. Yeah, I, I would almost call him sort of like the conservative Quebec Ralph Goodale. Yeah, that's um, actually pretty good. Is, is perhaps how I sort of see some parallels That's quite there. on the nose, I think, um, yeah. Where the liberals feel about Ralph Goodale, I think conservatives feel about... Gerard Deltel. A stick handler from a tough region. Yeah. yeah. And who's steady on any file yeah. and will play the part that he's given and yeah. everything else. Um, who else? Ooh, let's note Cheryl Gallant. Gallant. Uh, no, I think no, she goes by Gallant. Uh, yeah. 
All right. Gallant is the, the maritime one. Yeah. So her position is Veterans Affairs Associate, Associate and Fed Economic Nor. Development for Northern Ontario. Which Fed is Nor. a little odd because Renfrew Nipissing Pembroke is a Ottawa Valley riding and is not really in anybody's conception of what Northern Ontario is. And now the Tories actually do have an MP in Northern Ontario. Well, yeah, fair on all of those points. Yes. I was, He's brand new, admittedly. But so. I was just thinking, I thought she did not have a cabinet committee, or not a cabinet committee, a uh, standing committee role or a critic portfolio in the last parliament. I th- so or in the, to, in the tail end of the last to parliament, To give some least. context on Cheryl, she is, I think, probably one of the, and I'm putting this very generously, one of the more gaff-prone members of their caucus. Oh what i've never <laughs> she she's had some gaffes and goofs in the last couple of years i think uh fair to say she's um prone to produce some embarrassing headlines for the party so keeping her in an associate role and then kind of a very minor role for Fednor is probably probably safe but we'll see i always love when she makes the news personally it's always funny <laughs> <gasps> Uh, we have Garnet Genius, uh, multiculturalism. I'm not even bother correcting your pronunciation of that one. Genius? I, I don't even. I don't. The thing is, I don't even it's, know. It's not genius, no, although not. Com- common mistake. Yes. Uh, By Mar- him too. Marilyn Gladue remains uh, on the health file. Which she was science before, and then uh, she no she's she, no for but a while. I'm I, for a while yes, well but before. I'm saying before, like in the early day, earlier days of the last parliament. So her background is actually as an engineer. I'm inter- I, I, I'm actually a little interested in, in Garnet Genesis' multiculturalism credit because he is probably the... M- this is a little mean, but probably the member of caucus most likely to use 4chan often. Uh, so just in the sense that he's a reedy nerd with weird opinions. I I know what you mean, but I somewhat disagree. He's sort of... No, I know he's more of like a... Of like a he's the type of MP He's a different be- kind of weirdo. Very engaged in the all-party caucuses for various um, interparliamentary friendship groups, and particularly interested on the foreign affairs and the religious freedoms file. Yeah, sort of. The, he definitely has a very strong like. Beat. Uh, well, he was one of the very few people to vote against the uh, motion in the last parliament calling on the Pope to apologize for uh, the Catholic Church's role in residential schools, um, which you know didn't endear him to me certainly. Uh, but yes, a bit of a weird guy. So we will see what he does with that. Well, actually, I guess that makes me a liar about Peter Kent, though, because I, I thought they moved in there. He's in immigration, refugees, and citizenship. Okay. Similarities. A little bit of overlap there. Um, Mike Lake is international developments. Interesting. The honorable Mike Lake. Yes. Do you know why he's the honorable Mike Lake? I do, because you love telling the stories, because he was appointed to Privy Council to give a presentation to Cabinet, despite not being a member of Cabinet. Correct. Yes. So. <laughs> <laughs> you thought you had really, me really proud of yourself for that one. <laughs> Richard Martell, seeing his name on the list. So Martell's... Uh, the hockey coach. The hockey Kudemir. coach. Yes. But if I'm not mistaken, I thought he had a very close election, and I'm sort of surprised to see him on this list, because I thought my memory from election day was that he'd lost well but, he evidently didn't but i guess unless he, they're trying to pull a fast one <laughs> I, I guess he did not yeah um but yeah he makes associate for national defense just keep showing up no one will notice <laughs> a very charismatic and uh charming fellow uh we have aaron o'toole back at back at foreign affairs yep. i remember yeah it he is was, back yeah yeah i think he so. was public safety early yeah and then i think he went to foreign affairs yeah uh, and now he's at Foreign Affairs, so status quo there. Um, Polyev remains finance. 
And NCC. And, yeah, that's... <laughs> because he's a Ottawa area MP. Unlike the yes. Ottawa, not Ottawa area NCC minister, but yes. that's beyond the point. Pierre Paulus, uh, another one of sort of the strong Quebec performers. Yes. Um, as public safety, border security, and emergency preparedness. Uh, Rempel moving over to industry and economic development, I think, is interesting. Going to, But going by Rempel Garner now, she got married. Uh, yes, fair. Uh, I just suspect no one would know if I just said Garner. So Rempel Garner. Yes. Um, industry and economic development. So first slice of that, industry is basically Baines because there are no science um, critics in, in the lineup. So it, it's... I think best understood is basically the mirror to Baines. Yeah. Um, but then it's also economic development, which is Jolie, well, the significant half of Jolie's portfolio. Yes. Oof. So it's a little of both. Tough unofficial languages there, bud. But we, <laughs> <laughs> but we saw also that there are uh, the Cheryl Gallants of the world. Gallant. Who have other subdivisions within the economic development portfolio. Yeah. So she has quite uh, sort of a broad swath of things, sort of like, former I said um, and she's quite an activist on whatever portfolio she has so in the last parliament she was immigration critic yeah and was incredibly activist on that <laughs> and now with industry already I think she's the only person the only shadow critic I can think of where I've seen articles um, putting out ideas and perspectives as to what direction they want to take their shadow ministry let's mm-hmm. call it um, so I, I think that is of note and obviously I said being so central to the, everything the government does and where a lot of the government hides its beautiful slush funds. Indeed. So, yes. As we talked about last time. Notable. Um, Bob Soroya, I'm only mentioning because he is the direct parallel, Queen's Privy Council for Canada. So he's the so, direct parallel to Dominic LeBlanc. But what, what does he do? Yeah, with the democratic institutions part of it carved out, I guess he polices how the Privy Council is run. I'm not. That's really a bit odd. Sure. I guess we'll, you know we'll keep an eye on that one. <laughs> yeah, that actually sounds interesting, but it also sounds like it could just be nothing. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, Stubbs being Shannon Stubbs being natural resources, uh, quite an outspoken, strong um, Alberta. Yes, rural MP. Alberta. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Lakeland. Yes. Um, so not not terribly surprising there. Uh, Honorable Tim Upple is back uh, as Treasury Board. Yeah. Um, Alice Wong, who cannot be removed from seniors, she's been in, <laughs> she's been the Minister of Seniors and the Critic of Seniors, I think, yeah. un, unbroken for quite a while. Um, and then just to close, I mean, are there any others that you'd point out? Um, I guess they're they're new Northern Saskatchewan MP. As uh, oh John Williamson's back eh yeah as labor yeah he was uh he's been having fun the last couple of years as uh running the Atlantic Institute for Market Studies which has now actually been folded yes, yes which has now been folded into the Fraser Institute so I guess that explains that uh, and it's the labor critic so I'm sure we'll get all the tedious libertarian takes we can imagine <laughs> from uh from the Conservative Party on this so I, that's I good. look forward to it the the labor file is one that. What Actually, if, did you know that a minimum wage is bad? <laughs> it's like, ooh, this is spicy stuff. The labor file, when it's hot, it's hot. Um, it's usually when large strikes are pending. Yeah. Um, but the vast majority of the time, it's quiet. Did you know that union members cannot feel pain? That will be, uh, yeah, give them a couple of years. <laughs> All right. Shall we bridge over to the NDP? Is that We is can that do that. What's yeah. next? Sure. Let's do it.
So I've got the list of roles in front of me. <laughs> I laugh at the first one. Nikki Ashton is the uh, the critic for public ownership. I did not know public ownership was a thing. Well, well, I mean, was, was there previously? You weren't, you weren't aware of the concept. Or? No. <laughs> uh, we certainly do not have a minister for public ownership. No, we don't. Or a minister for expropriating public property, uh, or private property rather. Um, was there previously a public ownership critic? I'm sure there has been at some point in NDB history. There was not but in the not, last parliament. Not no. recently. Um, Randall Garrison, defense, justice, sexual orientation, keeping, gender identity. Keeping what I had last time, Don Davies back on health, which will be very fun for uh, Minister Tassie because he knows the file really well. A uh, friend of the show, uh, Peter Farrell, who's been uh, on our podcast before. Uh, great episode. Um, is his legislative assistant, and uh, you can listen to that episode in our archives uh, about marijuana legalization, cannabis legalization. My apologies, uh, but yes, he is very good at that position, and that will be uh, that will be really big for the NDP to push for pharmacare in the minority context. So, just just to begin structurally, um, I think it's worth pointing out that the NDP have what twenty four MPs, twenty four, yeah, twenty four MPs. Um, which squared everyone, against, everyone gets something <laughs> squared against 37 cabinet ministers yes. means not only does everyone get something everyone gets a couple things some people get duplicates yes um, who else is jumping out Richard Canning uh, the Cannings mem- Cannings yes the natural resource he cares about most of course being, being wood being wood <laughs> he introduced a private members bill in the last uh, it passed in the last session of parliament did it pass last parliament period yes or, but it yes. did pass yes um who else i mean there's a few new names here yeah so i mean notably laurel collins yes who's the new victoria mp who who fought a very oh reasonably tight race there is now the critic for environment and climate change so that's definitely a big vote of confidence um for an mp who seems very promising um so i think that that will that will be good to see she's vancouver island as well which will help them sort of uh regionally and issues wise sort of help uh, on the green flank a little bit jack harris is back and i think looking over this he has perhaps the broadest of anyone yeah foreign affairs public safety and ACOA being the, the uh, atlantic canadian uh standout here yeah which is a hefty chunk of things like i've often said public safety itself is a huge department yeah foreign affairs and public safety and are between the two of them is, very big yes so uh, that's going to be he is a very experienced guy and very very smart uh, so I think that will be something he will be able to handle, but it will be definitely interesting. Lindsay Matheson uh, yes. of Matheson clan fame. Indeed. Um, do you remember what her mother was in the last parliament? Uh, all variously veterans and uh, Canada Post. So not that. Uh, Deputy Whip, critic for DIY. Um, Diversity, inclusion, and youth. <laughs> Or craft, arts and crafts, yes. <laughs> to take however you will. Um, post-secondary education, women, and gender equality. So a number of different little packages yes. there. Um, remind me how you... Mumalak. I think most people call her by her first name. Mumalak, and then the last name is? Uh, I don't know how to pronounce okay. it. I'll be honest with P- you. <laughs> putting you on the spot there. Yes. Uh, gets... Uh, Canadian Northern Economic Development Agency and Northern Affairs more and broadly. Northern Affairs, yep. which makes sense. Yes. Um, so what's what's well? Your... I think another interesting one, Heather McPherson, who is the lone non-conservative uh, Prairie MP, the Edmonton uh, Strathcona. 
Yes. Yes. The University of Alberta riding. Yes. That I once upon a time ago lived in. Indeed. Um, she took over from Linda Duncan. Yes. And is the deputy house leader and critic for international development, which is sort of her personal background. And um, managed not to be kidnapped into the Liberal cabinet. <laughs> yes, indeed. So the witness, Good for her. The witness protection there was successful. Uh, one interesting one, I guess, is Leah Gazan, who uh, is Winnipeg Center and is uh, Romy Saganash's partner. Uh, which I don't know if everyone is aware of I that. I, yeah. I was not aware of that. There you go. And has families, children, and social development, which is, you know, I think was going to be really good in terms of like anti-poverty advocacy. Uh, not as big a perhaps indigenous role as would have been expected or foreseen by many uh, because Jagmeet himself has taken the indigenous um, reconciliation critic portfolio. Sure. So that will be uh, a, a little bit out of what I think many were expecting, but I think will be quite good there. Um, I would say Charlie Angus, who actually doesn't appear on your list. Oh yeah, yeah. Oddly, I don't blame the, blame the CBC. Yeah, I will blame the CBC for that. Uh, but he is coming back in as the critic for Indigenous Youth, as he was last time, which amidst the ongoing uh battle over the CHRT decision. Oh wait, can I can I backtrack on blame? Yes, it? go ahead. It's in the text of the article. There's I see. So, there's several in the text of the article that we missed, like uh, Alexandre Boulgres. Oh yeah, that's actually well. yeah, that's really frustrating. I, don't, I have the actual like their website tab open, which is going to be a little more helpful, I think, possibly. Too late. I, I committed to the CBC. Article. Okay, you committed to the CBC article, but um, yeah, he uh, will be the critic for Indigenous Youth, as I mentioned, and yes, in the context of the CHRT battle, that's going to be quite significant. Um, he also maintains the ethics role and uh, will be the inequality and affordability critic as well, which is sort of a role sort of cast in opposition to Mona Fortier's um, portfolio as minister for the middle class. Yes. Yes. Uh, the, the hilariously. So that's a big job for, for, for Charlie. Um, so good luck to him. It will be, uh, it will be big. Um, but, it, you know, he's been one of the ndp's top performers for for many many years and i assume will continue to be um, <laughs> <laughs> yes uh so to bridge slightly uh oh or, and brian was there anyone else you wanted to mention yeah brian is uh brian massey from windsor west uh the lone surviving windsor new democrat sadly is uh back in as the uh innovation science and industry as well as telecom with a big hobby horse uh for brian and uh digital government and the great lakes which is a, a project or a sort of area of concern near and dear to his heart so true yes so i would say in general the cast of that uh shadow cabinet is a quite activist orientation towards uh a couple of issues especially environment indigenous issues pharmacare and i think the broad spectrum of affordability between the sort of taking on the sort of liberal middle class cast and also on things like telecom from um, strong MPs like Brian. Well, they're going to cut telecom bills by 25%. <laughs> by what asking you, nicely, you, yeah. What do you have to complain about? Yeah, exactly. So that'll be, that. I think it, I think there was a uh, difficulty adjusting to the reality of a much reduced caucus in the aftermath of the 2015 election. And I think at this point, there's an embracing now of this is the size of the team and we're going to use it more effectively. Uh, which I think, given the kind of slow couple of years the NDP had between Tom Mulcair's leadership and the kind of slow start off the ground Jigmeet had in his first uh, 18 months or so as leader, uh, I think they're going to be more able to hit the ground running in this parliament. So we will see. Uh, I think that takes us to Andrew Shearer. 
Well, let's let's actually start with a few more contemporaneous events. Sure. Um, most notably, Parliament returned to session. It did. It restarted on Wednesday. No. Tuesday. Tuesday. Sure. I've been playing Zelda for the past month, so I've been a little <laughs> out of it. I did beat it the other day. So Tuesday was the uh, both the uh, election of the speaker, as well as the. Speech from the throne. Indeed. Well, and yes, the election of the speaker, I guess, was a bit of a surprise. So I saw a lot of takes as to what happened there. And I think a lot of people either aren't fully considering how the ballots worked or what. Um, so what happened broadly was that uh, Jeff Reagan, uh, who'd been speaker for the past four years, um, lost to his liberal competitor. Um, which is reasonably unusual um, because you would expect that, being that the majority of votes are actually with the opposition, yeah, that either the opposition would coalesce around an opposition speaker, yeah, or the status quo would prevail because the liberals have a hefty chunk of votes. So Jeff Reagan wouldn't have needed that many votes from the opposition in order to maintain, presuming that the liberals were largely backing him. Yes, um, it should be noted it's a despite. The parties, I'm sure, put out lists of preferences, um, but it is a secret vote. So much like the United Nations Security Council, you can never 100% count your ducks um, and depend on party lines. If people have personal grudges or animosity or yeah. strong opinions, then I'm sure they will uh, they will vote their conscience on those ones. Yes. But what I think generally happened was that the conservatives were not super pleased with Reagan. Yeah. Or uh, with over. No, different Regan. people. Reagan, yeah. not yeah. O'Reagan. Um, so I don't so think they were pleased with him either. They voted against him, uh, largely en masse, probably put him last on their ballot, if not on their ballots at all. Yeah. Um, and they, they frankly probably put their own people one and two. They There was two conservative uh, MPs up for election. They probably put them one and two, but being a ranked ballot, those ones drop off. And the list gets whittled down. And majority was found when uh, it came to Rhoda. Anthony Rhoda, who is the member for Nipissing to Miskaming. So apparently Rhoda did quite a reasonable amount of outreach uh, towards sort of uh, French language MPs, a bit of a stronger French speaker. Yes, and it's fair to say it's a very bilingual writing. So, so yeah. likely the block gravitated towards Rhoda, the block largely having, you know... A, Not much of a dog in that fight. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I it should also note the bloc being the significant party that did not run a candidate for yes. speaker. Yes. Um, the NDP ran a candidate for speaker. Carol Hughes, who was the uh, assistant deputy speaker in the last parliament. Who undoubtedly was their first choice. Yes. And also worth saying that Rhoda had had a position in the speakership sort of, I don't really know what you call that, team, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, because he was a, not the assistant deputy, but the, and not the deputy because that was Bruce Stanton, I think. Yes. But, uh, yeah, it was... One, uh, one of the... Yeah, one... Yes, one of the top four positions there, anyway. Um, so it seems like con opposition votes largely, I would say, conservatives and bloc coalesced around Soda in the first few ballots. Rhoda. Rhoda. Soda. <laughs> Dif different person. Yeah. <laughs> uh, coalesced around Rhoda in the first few ballots. The NDP vote, frankly, could have been split. I, I don't know that they have strong animus one way or the other. Um, but either all of the NDP votes went to Rhoda, um, which maybe happened based on the advice that they were given, or there was a block of liberal MPs, be it new MPs or 
otherwise, um, who are swayed by Rhoda. Mm-hmm. Um, so Rhoda certainly likely had a constituency within the Liberal Party that was voting for him, and that's what made the difference. Yep. Um, that he likely did not get I mean, at the end 100% of... support of the Liberal benches. Yeah. Otherwise, the amount of support, the 17 votes he would have needed on the other side likely would have trickled in. Yeah. Um, but it seems like there was a block voting against him. And to him. be honest, I don't really know much about why people don't like him or didn't like him. Uh, and the ultimate imp- upshot of this really may be quite slim. So I should note that. So uh, He's homeless now, I suppose. <laughs> yeah. So uh, He loses the farm. But uh, Speaker does get an apartment um, in Parliament as well as a house and driver and uh, a salary bump up to the lo- the ministerial level, which is about 225 or something. I know it's more than that. Oh, is it? Okay. I always think it's 250 or 260. Okay. Um, but one of his promises was to bring back sort of the, I don't know if it was a Millican tradition or it predated Millican. Um, but Former the, speaker of the House, Peter Millican. Yes, was to bring back the dinners that Millican hosted. Yes. Uh, so Millican was known to basically draft up formal invites and then after question period or while members were in the house, go and personally invite members from uh, opposite parties to speakers' dinners together. So Regan did this, not necessarily personal invites, but would invite MPs from all parties to meals. Speakers, I think it's an amount of degrees. Sure. Um, speakers generally operate in a quasi-diplomatic, fa- I mean, they're in the top three diplomats in the sort of the chain of command for Canada. And so, yeah, like the, the um, order of precedence, as it's formally called, has the speaker quite high. Yes. Speaker of the Senate's actually higher, amusingly. Uh, but they, they serve in sort of a diplomatic capacity yes. when greeting like foreign officials. If the president of wherever were to come over and the GG and the prime minister weren't there, it would be the, uh, impinged upon the speaker to greet them. Yes. Um, but the bringing back of these regular-ish nonpartisan or multi-partisan dinners was one of his his appeals to heal the wounds of the House of Commons and the divisiveness as he sees fit and perhaps a small solution towards, um, you know, working towards less heckling and more collegiality <laughs> and, and sort of the dream of all these Oh, things. yeah, okay. But there are, there Good are luck. stories that MPs will tell that when they came to Ottawa, they used to go out for lunch with members of the other party and have a drink with people from the other parties and that as a habit has largely died yeah off. and that's and, and people are frowned upon if you're seen hanging out yeah with and MPs people from the other party people have pointed to a wide variety of things for this including this this sort of you know people leave ottawa on thursday afternoon and come to ottawa you know monday midday so they're not here a whole lot to begin with because they're spending most of the time in the community because the community is where votes are Fair enough, you know, it, it makes a fair amount of electoral sense. Um, so, I, I don't know, I think that's, it's, it's a lot of things, you know, it's it's not sure. just people yeah. are meaner or anything. Um, so, I don't know, I, I, I've always found that sort of thing kind of overrated. The cultural exchange yeah, element. Collegiality of, thing, it's, I don't know. Sure. Um, to move past that into the actual speech from the throne. Yes. Um, the... So, 
just let's do a little procedure hit first. Ottawa is presently split, um, or not Ottawa, Parliament is presently <laughs> split Yes. Uh, among two buildings, um, which made this logistically complicated. It's very funny to watch, though. Um, so actually, on my way to work uh, on Thursday morning, I'm coming out of Ottawa's... Yeah, you have a view on the new Senate building, I suppose. I do, yeah. but it was actually walking up from the LRT stop, uh, which was on time for once. <laughs> um, and I get held up in front of the Senate building by RCMP. Um, who are like sort of doing hand signals to keep me at like Were you 15, from the 15 feet back. Oh, yeah. Really? Isn't the parliament closer? No, it's oh, not. No, I suppose not. Eh? Yeah. Um, to keep me like 15 feet back and we're waiting there for a good five minutes and you know there's a bit of a crowd of pedestrians trying to get through. Guy turns to me and he goes, do you know who's coming? And I was like, I don't know. Who shows up but the... Governor General? Usher of the Black Rod. Ah, the gentleman Usher of the Black Rod. Who basically yeah. walks out with his glorified cane and jumps in a minivan. And yeah. it was like, this was wholly unnecessary, guys. Like, there wasn't really even much ceremony Yeah, to it's it. like if it there was, was a like... traffic jam in central London because the frumbus of Bumble Fanarthing had to come through for the <laughs> traditional crackling of Parliament. Like, fuck off. <laughs> it was, yeah, it was sort of funny. I was like, that must have been incredibly anticlimactic for everyone waiting to see maybe Trudeau or whoever. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, jump, jumped in the minivan to kick off the procession. Um, and then, yeah, they had to bus MPs back and forth. <laughs> yeah, for, for context, it's like this is like two blocks apart down Wellington, <laughs> yes. which is like a busy street. It, it's very stupid. It used to, yes, because so to give some context for people who may be unaware, uh, Parliament has been housed for much of the last hundred years in uh, Center Block, uh, which is, you know, the iconic building with the Peace Tower and everything. It is now closed for renovations for the next 10 years officially, though everyone seems to think it's going to be probably at least 15 um and house of commons is in west block uh, a refurbished uh building of the original sort of parliamentary campus and the senate is now sitting in the new senate building uh which is the former government conference center which was itself the former central train station in ottawa correct so just for anyone who doesn't know and the speech from the throne occurs in the senate uh because that is where the throne is yes uh, i mean that's not why but that's well the queen is not allowed in the commons except by invitation correct yes so or her representative, I should add. Yes, if at all. Yeah. Yeah. No, they, they, they can be invited. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Fine. Yeah. Um, so it was, I mean, it kicked off in dramatic fashion with uh, Spaceship Earth. Yes. Um, a much mocked and ridiculed line inserted into the speech by the Governor General. You know um, what, though? This is much like Garneau in the sense that once you've been to space, it's like you're going to flex about it. So this, yeah, this kind of reminds me of the time I was in space. <laughs> you know, like beard guys. I mean, I have a beard. I don't know where you're going. No, with this. but I mean, like beard guys whose identities become intertwined with their beard. Yeah. To be indistinguishable from their beards. Yeah, yeah. Or like I don't know, like like a craft beer guy, maybe. Culture, like or, anyone, or like a craft beer guy. <laughs> anyone who takes their subculture a little too far. Yes. And space like, guys. <laughs> Yeah, or like a Trekkie or something like that. I like, mean, the difference being that she actually has been to space, I suppose. Yes, would be she, a... has, she has an incredible resume, but making everything from now on. <laughs> she, made her, she made her crest or her herald or yeah, whatever it is. Yeah, oh, that's kind of cool. I like that. About space. Yeah. 
she'll throw space into every speech. Mark Garneau does not do that. I would that. actually, I, I think they had to beat it out of him over time. Mark Garneau is not like, um, like they say about railway safety, uh, <laughs> to infinity and beyond. <laughs> uh, he did recently say something about serving his country in space. That's fine. That was funny. <laughs> like, my... I, I love to think like how passive aggressive their conversations must be. Payette and uh, Garneau. It's just like, uh, you know, I spent uh, 41 days in space. Oh, that's cool. I spent 42 days in space. <laughs> I don't know if that's like, I have no idea if that's correct. But I just imagine they're subtly one-upping each other. Meanwhile, Garneau is fighting desperately behind the scenes to prevent Commander Hatfield from joining the Liberal Party. Yeah, I said, no, I'm the only space guy. <laughs> It's like uh, a High- Highlander sort of situation. There can only be one. Only be one. Yeah. one. One astronaut. Yeah. Um, so, Julie Payette, I mean, there's not much to say about the line. The speech itself, um, uh, I mean, many much analysis has been done. It was longer than their last one. There were... Well, four years ago, it must be said. Yes. That yes. one was, you know, the length of an op-ed, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Um, this one was interesting for a few reasons. There was a weird combination in it of ignoring their election platform while including bips and bops from the election platform. If we understand the election platform to be largely about affordability, which seemed to be the dominant theme, Mm -hmm. there were a few pieces interspersed um, in the speech from the throne that paid lip service to the affordability theme Mm -hmm. that was the entire platform. Yeah. Um, but there was also sort of a rever- reversion to form on three-ish major issues. I'm forgetting what... The, uh, well, foreign affairs was a little bit of it. Um, environment and indigenous issues were a, a huge, roughly, not a third, but maybe a quarter of yeah. the speech each. Uh, and thematically, they were sort of overarching. Yes. The, the, you know, our 2019 election was not fought fundamentally on climate change. Um, but you wouldn't know that reading the speech from the throne. No, it, there's one interesting thing here, which is the media coverage, is, I think, centered a lot on the sort of environmental um, tenor of that speech. Sure. And I think it's been pointed out uh, that, like, what does Justin Trudeau have to do for people not to take him seriously on climate? Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's like they, they bought the pipeline, they're expanding the pipeline. They have a climate plan that is not going to meet its targets. Like, you know, and you can say they're doing more than conservatives. Sure, I granted. But, like, at some point, we have to stop taking the climate warrior thing as seriously as the liberals kind of want us to, I think. I say we. I, I kind of am talking to media here, but, like, maybe just don't buy what he's selling if it's not really well all there. I don't know. Here, so let, let me provide some gentle pushback sure. on on the behalf of all the liberals left, listening who wish they were sitting on, on the couch. Oh, yeah, and then they're going to be like, well, we did X, Y, Z. It's like, you show me where the lines intersect for where you need to be and where you're getting, cause, but, or where you're currently going, because so they don't meet right now. Just structurally, let, let me let me pitch this as a, a liberal vision and just ha- sure. have you respond. So the liberals did invest a significant amount of political capital in... Sure. Pushing through the carbon tax. Yes. Um, and the carbon tax, you know, scales up somewhat, and that's all factored into projections. Mm-hmm. Um, but it doesn't get to the eventual target. Yep. There's been conversation with the liberals introducing a new target about a year from now, et cetera, et cetera. But in that... Depends when you ask them, but... Four years 
um, their initial four years in government, their plan then did not take them all the way to the target. Mm-hmm. But they were expending basically political capital at an incredibly high burn rate to get to that point. So sure. what is to say or what is to prevent you from believing that the liberals will continue to use political capital to in- continue to ratch up mm-hmm. their climate action to meet said targets? A couple of things. First of all, I, I just want to tackle the central frame of this, which is that seriousness on climate change is a carbon price. I think all economists agree that a carbon price is a good way to reduce emissions with low cost. I think that, that that's what people will say, and I think that that's correct. I think when you're looking at a short timeline, the longer-term behavioral and technological shift effects that you're looking for from a carbon price are not going to kick in rapidly enough to drive the emissions reduction you need, except if you jack up the price very high, which, despite the distributional or redistribution effects of the kind of um, rebate they do, is still going to hit people up front, and they only get the money back at tax time, which for many people who don't make a lot of money, you're not going to be able to afford, you know, however many more percent on stuff you buy every day to get two, three hundred back in March or April. Yes, I, I do hate I, the use of the tax I, system. This so way. I just want to flag that right there, that like the carbon tax, yes, it is a, a viable mechanism to reduce emissions, but there are uh, costs, obviously, and... There are political costs, and that is more visible. And I think, you know, Andrew Coyne is, is frequently the person who says, well, should we do something more expensive that doesn't work as well? And sometimes the answer might be yes. Maybe you should do something that is more expensive and doesn't work as well. If you can make it work, if you can actually get more emissions reductions out of a more expensive mechanism, if it doesn't, for instance, I, I this was kind of my second bracketed point here, but I'll, I'll pivot right into it, is the kind of Western alienation thing and the sort of ang- storm moon drang over... Um, the sort of uh, energy sector, which I think is, is I think, rightly feeling quite pinched and targeted. And I think that's like not wrong because there there is a lot of sentiment of like we need to drive away from, uh, you know, oil production, etc. And, you know, that, it is what it is. But the carbon price has not helped that. If anything, it's made it worse. And they haven't really gotten any credit for their Transmountain expansion from the people who are mad about the perceived targeting of the oil industry, nor are they getting credit from environmentalists. So they're sort of treading a middle ground that makes no one happy. And ultimately, what you need for a successful environmental policy is political buy-in. And they don't really have it, right? Like, Wait, are we talking about Obamacare? or? Well, I think, yeah. No. I mean, fundamentally, <laughs> this is the same problem that Obamacare had, is that it was a, a policy that made no one happy and created no constituency for itself. The only parts of the... Obamacare package that really attracted offenders was the Medicaid expansion, uh, which has been the part that's been impossible to gut. Uh, so there you go. I so at, lengthy digression. I at, know it's definitely a lengthy digression. At some point, I would like to go into further detail on this because we wanted to do a climate episode for quite a while. Yes, I know we have <laughs> um, because there's. I mean, there's different parts to the carbon debate that I think often get lumped together. Yeah. Um, there's a significant uh, development in OBPS, so the output-based yep. pricing system. Yeah, and Alberta now has its system that's kicked online and that uh, has superseded the federal one. And that, well, it's, it's more, more, more yep. importantly, it's going to be recognized by the federal yep. one as meeting the federal yep. objectives. Um, but that is only one half of it. The other half is the, the retail carbon yep. tax, which is... Yeah, and I mean, the, the left is... The more controversial of the yeah. two. 
But uh, the one that doesn't actually drive as many significant reductions. It's about a third or just under a third yeah. be- between the two chunks. The uh, output based pricing system, or like Alberta, it's called the tier system, um, is supposed to be about two thirds of the emission reductions. Yeah. Um, whereas the retail one is one third, but it gets 99% of the um, political hay made about yeah. it. And then there are other ones other mechanisms that we're using such as clean fuel standards yeah. and others um well, so and the methane phase out which they delayed but yeah. it's it's a package and the coal but phase all, out. all the yeah. political focus is on the, the a single element of it which is the retail carbon tax yes which is i think points to its political its status as a political albatross right rather than a real driver of the climate policy it's a relatively small portion and the by far the thing that gets all of the hate and like delays climate progress because it's so unpopular Okay. Let's, I think yeah. So sure. <laughs> let's let's put a pin in the yes. environment conversation. Um, what was speech there, from the throne? <laughs> was there yes? Was there any other standouts in the speech from the throne for you? Uh, what day was that? I might have still been playing Zelda. Thursday. Yeah, I don't think I watched it. Okay. Yeah, well, no, but you you've seen the content. You've seen the analysis. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> more, more than the I, I did see some of the stuff in the environment, which drove our lengthy digression just there but uh fundamentally i think the speech of the throne i just don't think it matters that much less like, less important yeah. by mandate letters in the era pre-public mandate letters uh, which was sort of a, a win trudeau uh innovation or uh, love those. development the, the <laughs> they would public, call it an innovation the public release of innovation letters the speech from the throne was, was the equivalent <laughs> innovation letters <laughs> mandate letters um, was sort of the equivalent now all of Ottawa is on pins and needles waiting for actual mandate letters to be released yes. which are much more granular and it sort of undercuts the importance of the speech from the throne yeah that's a fair point um, the mandate letters you know everyone's been waiting for them they should likely be released um early in this week one would expect um dbd uh just i think it'd be remiss if we did not note uh trudeau's a lovely return to the international stage this week yes um they kept the someone had to wrestle the shoe polish out of his hand <laughs> no, no mr trudeau don't worry we'll take care of the shoes <laughs> the uh <laughs> The uh, NATO conference, which was going oh so well until um, another international debacle, which, you know, I can understand why the guy didn't want to go to a monk debate. Um, but. Which guy? Trudeau. Why the, oh, I the, see. The yeah, monk, during the, the most recent foreign yeah, policy yeah, debate. Right, right. I forgot that that was. Yeah. Um, because fundamentally, his that record. Was really, that was for me really like, I hope both sides lose situation. His record just yeah. is, is so poor on these things. Yes. Um, but to bridge to our final sort of area of discussion today, um, you wanted to talk about dun, 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 Andrew Shear and what, his, what's, uh, what's going on in the Conservative Party? So a month ago, if you had asked me, and I suppose in a matter of in a matter of speaking, we we did, in that we recorded an episode on you know talking about this. I sort of thought I think Andrew Shear can keep his job if he wants it. I think Andrew Shear has not showed over the last month and a half that he actually wants to keep his job. Uh, and I think it's fair to say that his critics have become increasingly vocal with not much pushback from uh, from the Andrew Shear camp. And I, I suspect 
he is not long for this world as leader of the opposition. So, uh, a few things. One, I mean, you're certainly right. Oh, there um, we go. We can go home. <laughs> well, no, no, not, not on everything. Um, you're right that immediately post-election, I think there was the opportunity for him to um, be a little bit stronger and more forceful and take up uh, more space, uh, which would have quelled critics a little more and yeah. pre- prevented them from getting the foothold that they have. Um, but that's not what happened. A little bit of a power vacuum was created. Yep, that's exactly it. Um, there was the perception of blood in the water, and that has resulted in sort of a snowball rolling downhill. Oh, well, we ga- are really mixing the metaphors today. Ga- <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> Gathering steam. <laughs> <laughs> so, so we got a steam-powered shark snowball <laughs> <Yeah>. here. <laughs> um, which we'll see if it can be stopped. Um, so I mean, honestly, I, it's steam-powered and a shark. There, I, I don't see good odds here. There have been a few developments on this worth noting. So a lot of the critics, a lot of the outspoken critics so far have been former staff. Yeah. Um, I guess highlighting the role that staffers can get in terms of their sort of independent influence from their yes. elected masters, um, where a lot of former or some rather not a lot because i mean fundamentally when you were prime minister for 10 years you had a lot of pmo staff Mm -hmm. Um, but a lot of people are able to leverage their position as former pmo staff to get headlines um in order to build yourself a political uh political platform yeah um one of the more smart people just start a podcast no exactly one of the more notable sort of trends in it is that the people who are most outspoken right now are not generally people who were supportive of Andrew Scheer in leadership. Um, often they fell into other camps, most notably the Bernier camp. Yes. Um, so for people in the Bernier camp to now be agitating when the guy that they lost a, a hard-fought race to um, and is perceived to be um, in a weakened position, for them to be agitating is, to a certain extent, not expected. Not unexpected? Uh, yes, not yeah. unexpected. Okay. Uh, it remains to be seen, so sort of the the subtext of all of this is if there is a leadership race, um, ultimately some of them are advocating that Andrew Scheer step down and rerun in a leadership race to reaffirm his mandate. That's obviously generally political suicide. <laughs> yeah. um, but there isn't necessarily a roster of immediate conservative leadership candidates that comes to mind. A lot of the presumptive a team that was seen to be sitting out the uh, last leadership race, the Jason Kenney's, the Brad Walls, the James Moore's, the Peter McKay, the, I mean, now Ron Ambrose, although um, Ron, Ron Ambrose, Ron, yes, yes, not the, not the hardware store. Yes. Um, there's a lot of doubt as to how many, if any of Well, these yeah, Jason Kenney's a little busy, be. I think. So, yeah, a lot of people will throw out Jason Kenny and Doug Ford in this yeah, type Brad of conversation. Yeah, Brad Wall is just, like, shoveling money hand over fist Yeah, I don't really these know what he's doing. He's working, well, he worked for oil companies for a little bit, and I think he's got a side gig working for the Manitoba government reviewing their disastrous hydro mega projects right now. Fair. Yeah. Um, so, suffice it to say, I, I keep think... Good, I keep close tabs on Brad Wall. I think... <laughs> but, <laughs> it's, not, it's not creepy. 
Well, you don't want them coming to Ottawa. <laughs> so, I just think that there is... I mean, there are, there's certainly opposition forces growing and organizing. Um, I have got targeted Facebook ads. Um, how I was targeted is a, a bit uh, of a mystery. Yes, and I think that we're saying that the, uh, the the proud network has sort of swung into action on this. Yes, they have thrown in their their hat. Um, Whoever it, they may be. <laughs> yes. Well, yeah, we know. Yeah, yeah, obviously, a couple of the public figures are have said publicly. Well, it's it's one dude. Yes. Well, it's uh, a couple dudes. Yes, they sent their lawyer to the ethics committee one time. So all Fun stuff. Oh uh, yeah. Yeah. Yes. I don't have to answer that. All all of this making somewhat of a uh, a larger asterisk than it was before. Um, it's worth reiterating that the leadership convention will be a delegated vote, um, which is not the same as a vote of general membership. Mm-hmm. The you know who you know who else felt this very keenly, Mister Mister Thomas Mulcair. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So the average member who wants to buy a membership and vote for or against Andrew Shear is not going to be able to. You yes. need to basically have long-standing roots in your EDA and have the capital to fly to Toronto. So um, does the Conservative Party sort of do the thing where if there are leftover credentials, they, they hand them out to people who want to go? I have no idea. Okay. Zero clue, but I suspect they're... Uh, yeah. I suspect it will be reasonably competitive to be elected a delegate at sure. this. And there's a lot of organizing that both um, the sheer camp and the so-called nebulous forces although i'm not sure how nebulous they are very nebulous no this is this is good audio (coughs) we're we're keeping this (laughs) okay Tan got himself some water and uh, doing better we're now back uh yes so the nebulous forces four hours of yell talking at the uh back to back to ottawa parties has been has that's been why i don't course. go to these things um well, it's yeah. among many reasons i don't go to these things so i mean f- I'll, I'll lay it out like this ultimately the organization or the the oppositional forces will not win unless they're organized so anyone who thinks that they are not organized that and that or that they're not planning to organize or in some degree i think is d- delusional these staffers are not speaking out for fun um, for for funsies yeah um they they know every, each and every single one of them knows that they're going to have to try and organize at the grassroots level in order to have any to, to have the desired impact. So it's increasingly concerning for conservative leadership, I believe. Yeah, I think they're screwed at this point. Uh, yeah, and uh, we no, I'm good. Thanks. Uh, we uh, we wanted to flag this at the beginning, but the Leona Alslev appointment as deputy leader, I think, was badly taken in caucus. As someone who was not uh, conservative until like a year ago, so two two different frames have been put on this. The oppositional frame is, uh, yeah, she has deep conservative roots. What? Sar- sarca- that's, yeah, sarcastically. That's, that's the sarcastic frame. Yes. Um, she voted for Stephen Harper. No. Against um, Stephen Harper. Again, sarcastic. <laughs> what? 
sarcastic again. Oh, I see. Okay. There, yes. there you go. Now, now you're now you're getting the the tone yeah, of sarcasm. Okay. Got it. Yeah. Maybe I've lost my sarcasm tone in my sore throat. Hmm. Um, and then the other one is these are the people that. And now this is not sarcastic. Just so you're aware. Okay. These are the types of people. She is a great story of a liberal who's joined the conservative ranks. It shows the yeah. intent. Um, and sort of the broadening of the tent. So I would say both of those people have a point. Um, but I think the time to make that call was before the election, when the overwhelming criticism of the sheer leadership was that it was too focused on the conservative base, and then ran a campaign that was entirely focused on purely talking to the conservative base, um, and lost. And now to come out and sort of punish his own loyalists in that way much like how bob ray in the end really undid his government by uh ray days right which is to say that you know you capitulate you show your seriousness by throwing your most ardent supporters under the bus is not a way to win friends within your own political movement no, there's always, yeah. Th- I mean, this is a challenge for any leader is how, how you square the circle on these things. Yeah, and it's it's not easy, right? You do have how, to make a call you, one way or the other. How do you show that you're changing and yeah. that you're being responsive to criticism without alienating Yes, and I don't think core? that circle was well squared in this instance. Um, so the other element of Shear, I mean, there's been a few pieces to sort of Shear's action plan as, as far as, you know, is publicly available. Um, there's been a somewhat of a listening to her and there's also been, uh, the dismissal of two staff. Yes. Um, the to, comms director and chief. Yes. Yeah. Comms director and chief of staff, um, who neither of them had the deepest roots on the team. And it must be said, um, the, I don't think the affections of, of many in the, uh, the Hill universe of conservatives. Um, in some cases, I, I'd be more cautious about that. I, yes. I don't know that that's necessarily true. I don't know. Um, I've heard I mixed mean, reviews. Like, I, yeah, I think they were just, you know, prominent people in prominent positions. Yes, um, which never helps. Yes, so they were, they were easy targets um, for dismissal to show that change was happening. Yeah, sort of. But you yeah, know. I I, per- I just think there, there's a bit of a you got to cauterize the wound thing on this where if he had done this like day three after the election, it shows decisiveness, you know, it's like, okay, I listen, let's, I I get it. We're doing this. Instead. It's like the sort of trickling thing where he's cutting his arm off like an inch at a time. just sort of trying to outpace the gangrene and it's not really working. Uh, And the room is starting to smell pretty bad. Gangrene notoriously fast paced. Eh, Can be once it gets far enough. (laughs) Any, any, <laughs> anything else? Uh, Laura Carbono, noted gangrene expert. Yeah, you know, coming to me for all your cauterization and amputation <laughs> needs. Um, don't, don't do that. Uh, no, I think that that's pretty much all I, I wanted I, to hit. I've actually today. got this thing on my toe. If you'd like to take, a well, look. Get, you have a big enough knife. <laughs> yeah. uh, I can't imagine as much like can't be too unlike spatchcocking a chicken or something. <laughs> Just break the bone and get through. You're all right. <laughs> Um. Yeah. No. I think that that's pretty much it, though. I think that that covers the ground we wanted to cover. Um, and and delivers to our our beloved fans the the part two. What was what was promised? Indeed. I'll be later than. Later yeah, than we anticipated. Promised. Yeah. Okay. Well, that that'll do it for us. You Thank get you. What you pay for. <laughs> Thank you indeed. Thank you once again for listening. Um, 
you can reach out to us. You always or... seem confused at this part. You yeah, always seem would... like you're not sure what you're supposed to say. Yeah, I, I don't. 85 I... episodes in. Yeah, 84? 84. 84. Uh, yeah, you can follow Set Short Pants Pod. Uh, you can tweet your angry thoughts at us at Short Pants Pod. You can uh, send us your favorite recipes at Short Pants Pod. Uh, you can send us complaints about the podcast at Short Pants Pod. Actually, you know, you can send those to at Etienne AB. <laughs> um, and it's yeah. AB, it's yeah. Oh, sorry. Okay, well, actually, that's even better. Perfect. Uh, well, there you go. Uh, thanks, everyone. Bye-bye.